Hello, and welcome to the Architect Debt Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Brady. Architect Debt is a podcast that illuminates the lesser heard stories of women plus in architecture and related fields. This week, we feature a conversation with Joanne Loy. Joanne started in architecture, but then transitioned into tech, where she currently works as a content marketer for TestFit. She is also a coach, a branding expert, and founded the Women Architects Collective. But today, we focus our conversation on her most recent endeavor, the Mental Health in Architecture Summit, which took place virtually in September of 2023. On today's episode, we talk about Joanne's passion for marketing and skills building community, and how they helped her transition from working at Gensler to working as a marketer in the tech world. We talk about how the idea for the Mental Health Summit in Architecture was born and how Joanne listened to her audience to craft the perfect blend of sessions, keynotes, and workshops. We also discuss Joanne's big takeaways from the summit, including the surprising demographic that attended the parenting panel, who presented in a bathrobe, and how successful people set boundaries to maintain positive mental health. We also chat about what's next for the Women Architects Collective. Check out our show notes for ways that you can connect with Joanne, follow Architectette on LinkedIn and Instagram, and subscribe to our newsletter at architectette.com. Don't forget to help us grow by leaving a comment, following us, and subscribing. Before we get started, I just want to note that our conversation today focuses largely on architecture, workplace, and mental health. If you're looking for additional mental health resources for yourself or maybe for a friend, I've linked a few in the show notes. I hope you really enjoy this episode. It's a great conversation, so let's get it started. Joanne, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And so... A lot of people are probably familiar with your presence on social media, and you talk a lot about architecture and issues with the profession and personal branding. But before we jump into all of that, I'd love to just hear about how you got into architecture and and how you started in the profession. Ooh, how I got into architecture. I would try to make it short. Um, (laughs) I've always loved um, art and science when I was a kid and and it's just a very typical architect answer. And um, when I was choosing a major to go to college, um, so I came to America when I was around 16, 17 years old and I had to, you know, choose a major. I had no idea I was in a county college at that time. Um, I had no idea what to do. And I was either going to go to art school for illustration because I really love graphics and illustration Um, or I was gonna go to med school and be a doctor so it was like two very different worlds (laughs) because I just love two very different things and my dad basically said to me hey why do you like look into architecture seems like a good mix of both seems like you might like it so I looked into I had no idea what architecture was I had no idea what I was getting myself into um, what an architect actually does but I looked into it I went to a college fair and just asked around people hey do you have a do you do architecture? Like I, because I was new in America, I had no idea what school is what. Um, so this person at the fair told me, "Hey, why don't you look into NJIT? Because I'm in New Jersey and they have a great architecture program." So I did, and I applied, and I got in, and that's how I kind of randomly went into architecture school, <laughs> not really not knowing what I got myself into, and. Yeah, that's how I got into architecture. Mm -hmm. And in doing research for this episode, I didn't realize, are you still based in New Jersey? 
I am, yes. Okay. I don't know why I thought you were maybe West Coast, maybe because of your involvement in a lot of tech industry, but I'm from Pennsylvania, so hello, neighbor. (laughs) Yeah, that's not far. I was working in New York City for six, seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I left Gensler, I kind of came back to New Jersey and just stayed. Mm -hmm. And so... You talk a lot about how you kind of worked your way up in architecture firms and you work for Gensler, which is a huge, you know, very notable firm. I can only imagine how busy their New York office is. How did you decide to transition into tech? You started working at Monograph and then now you're at TestFit. So I was, like I said, at Gensler for six years and previously I was in a smaller firm and then a medium-sized firm. So I kind of felt like I had experienced the entire spectrum of firms in architecture and at the end of my time at Gensler I just felt like I needed a change I was doing the same thing the same type of project with the same group of people for six years and obviously I could have just like changed to a different studio or changed to do something different inside architecture but At the same time, I was very passionate and still am very passionate about marketing. Mm -hmm. It's something that I have built my skills from when I was, I don't know, when I started my first blog in 2014 or 15. Mm -hmm. I kind of just learned about online marketing over time by myself, um, doing all my side projects, and I decided it was time to make a change when one day I went into the office when I saw everyone around me looking at Arc Daily. And it was, you know, that's what architects do mm-hmm. in the morning. They go into the office, they open up Arc Daily, apparently, and they look at buildings. And I never do that. And I was listening to a marketing podcast in my AirPod and I like walking into the office and I just thought to myself, like, I'm not doing extra things to learn about architecture other than just working, mm-hmm. but I was doing all these learning and and actual, I guess, like actual implementation in my side businesses with marketing. I was loving it, and I was just spending all this time reading books and listening to podcasts around mm-hmm. marketing. So I just thought, why don't I? look into it and see if I can make it into a career. Mm -hmm. So I looked into the tech industry just because as a multi-passionate person, I love tech as well. (laughs) I just love many, many things. And I thought if I can do a tech, go into a tech startup in the architecture industry, I could still use my architecture knowledge that I have as a licensed architect. I can fulfilled my passion for marketing and also my small little passion for just innovative tech Mm -hmm. so kind of a combination of all three of that I thought going into a startup would be a good idea so I started looking into that I joined a community called Mm Architechy for any architects that want to go into tech and I met up with George who was the head of marketing at Monograph at that time we had a chat we just kind of hit it off right away because not a lot of architects go into tech to do marketing they go into it to do UX design or coding or programming so we kind of the 
only few people that <laughs> go into marketing from architecture. So we hit it off and we started working together part-time for Monograph. And then six months later, they offered me a full-time job. And it was hard to make that decision, but eventually I did decide to go for it and just try and see what happens. So that's how I got into this whole journey. Yeah, and it seemed like that was... It was a great position that aligned with a lot of your talents and interests. When there were layoffs and you were impacted by those, did you ever think, oh my gosh, now I have to go back to architecture? Or were you pretty set on staying within the tech world? I was pretty set on staying in the tech world. When I got laid off from Monograph um, about a year, a year and a half ago, maybe, I mean, it was shocking, but also expected because in a startup, you never know what happened. In a startup, it's risky. That's why when people ask me, I'm like, you really should understand the risk before you go into the startup or anything in the tech industry is different. But when I got laid off, I did get a lot of firms asking me if I want to go back to architecture and join a company. I had people from Gensler asking me if I want to come back. Um, but at the end of the day, I chose to stay in the tech industry, mostly because of the just the benefit and the culture that you get in a in a tech company or a startup, you definitely work less hours and you definitely get paid more and you get more benefits out of it. But at the same time, I feel like I'm still learning a lot about this industry and my role as a marketer in tech. I didn't want to stop that yet to keep learning about this. Um, so that's why I stayed. And so you kind of allude to some of the issues that are systemic in the profession of architecture. And we're also kind of the, the reason of this, this conversation is to talk about the Mental Health and Architecture Summit, which just happened last weekend. What was the reason that you thought it would be great to host this event? So the Mental Health and Architecture Summit was a two-day event, virtually online, and we have speakers, keynote speakers, workshops, and panelists talking everything about the mental health challenges we have in architecture um, and as we all know every architect if you ask any architect they're all probably burned out and exhausted <laughs> and overwhelmed and overworked and all the great things about architecture um, so I wanted to create something that can help with that and because I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor and any, anything. And I don't want to be. Um, I'm not an expert in the mental health space, but I know that I'm good at building communities and I'm good at bringing, I'm good at bringing people together. So I thought doing a summit would be a way to bring people together, give everyone a platform, whoever want to come and have these conversations around mental health. And a lot of the sessions are, I didn't want it to just be like complaining about our issues and <laughs> which, which, which we always do, but giving people the tools and strategies and actual things that they could do so they can go to different workshops and every workshop basically give you different tools and you can take from it whatever you want that fits you personally because I think mental health is a very personal challenge mm -hmm. um, and everyone needs something different so the the 
summit is basically giving you all the tools that everyone else is using and see what works best for you um, to help improve your mental health. I wrote down some of the sessions. They talked about parenthood, self-care, networking, burnout, people unpleasing, which I thought was very <laughs> a very clever name. And I know you you put everything together. Did you have an idea of what you wanted the spread of topics to be or did you put it together based off of the best, most compelling submissions that you received from panelists? Um, a few different ways. So before we start the summit, I did a survey with anyone that um, in my audience or in my community, and they tell me basically what they would want to hear and what they would want to learn because... As a marketer, I as a marketer, I know to listen to my audience. So I asked them like, "What would you like to learn?" They fill out a survey. So I have all these topics in mind of what people want to hear about. And then with the speaker submissions, I kind of match up the topic and see what would work based on what people are submitting and what people are asking for. But also, I would still go out of my way to try to find someone to fill in some. Some topics that I, you know, that someone might not be submitting or I couldn't find. I really wanted a panel for firm owners, okay, um, because firm ownership is, if I think, a very difficult thing to do, especially at the very beginning when you're just by yourself to start a journey and to balance everything going on. So we have a panel. For um, firm owners, and I find all these different firm owners to put it together. We have a panel for parenthood because I think when it comes to work-life balance, you cannot forget about parenthood. Yeah, and a lot of people talk about motherhood, but I wanted a panel to include both, you know, father and mother to really understand the whole spectrum of parenthood. And what they're going through in architecture. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the co-leaders of my women's affinity group at my firm, and we just mm -hmm. had a session on caregiving, because mm -hmm. we even extended it to people that care for elders or relatives or maybe a very needy dog or you know something like that. But it, it's sometimes we think of just motherhood as oh, mothers have to take care of their kids, but the responsibilities, like you said, are. are they cross genders and sometimes it's two dads. There's maybe not even a mom in this situation, but it's so helpful to consider those needs mm -hmm. and requirements outside of work because those, those really weigh on your time and your, your mental capacity to bring yourself to work. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people resonated with that in the parenthood panel. A lot of people actually came into the panel not knowing if they should have children because I, I think a lot of women would in the profession are afraid of having children because there's just so much work to do so mm -hmm. like how how do you even have a kid on top of working 80 hours a week um so going to the panel listening to what other people are experiencing their advice their like what they do with their spouse, I think helped them make, a lot of people said like it helped them make good decision on their priorities in their life and not always put their work first. That if they want to start a family, they should start it instead of just waiting for the right moment 
thinking one day it would happen, but it might not happen. Did you see differing opinions from people who maybe are on their way up in the profession, like emerging professionals versus people who are already at the top? Was there different perspectives on mental health from those two people at very different places in their career? I think, um, for example, at our keynote session with Leah Bea, she is a firm owner. She has her own firm. And she talked about how she built her firm culture to promote better mental health in her employees. So I think people from a leadership position is really looking for those ways to build a better company that they would enjoy working in, but their employees would enjoy working in, um, basically building the firm that they have never had (laughs) and and really like learning from Leah, who is doing an amazing job at that. And and they talked about that a lot too in the firm owners um, panel. It's like, they're all kind of, I think one, two, three years into their firm ownerships, hiring a couple people. And how do I maintain the culture that I want? Right. I think that's what the leadership people are looking for. Um, but for emerging professional, they're definitely just looking for ways to help with their own mental health on yeah. a day-to-day basis, just mm-hmm. because of how hard we work and how much we struggle with mental health in our profession. And um, one of the, I think, crowd favorite session was Mike LaValle, who talked about overcoming burnout. And he gave no, he explained what burnout is, why do you have it, all the steps you can take to help with that. And he shows himself as an example, his own story of like overcoming his burnout to now like running a marathon every year. So that I think is what the emerging professionals are looking for, like the tools and the steps to help them deal with their burnout. And were there any trends on mental health related to in-office or virtual work. I know I I have seen both sides of that where in-office, you know, is bad for your mental health, but it's actually better for your mental health. And then, you know, being at home, working from home, bad, but also good. Yeah, there there wasn't a ton of talk around it, um, but Leah there, the keynote speaker, she runs a 100% remote firm. And I think a lot of people want that because in my just in my audience in general I think people nowadays say they cannot hire talented people because there's a gap between what the employee wants and what the employer is offering like the employer is offering on-site in office right and then a lot of employees talk to me and say do you know any firm that hire for remote work um so there's a gap there Mm -hmm. Definitely, there are controversy, <laughs> controversy between both. And I think both are right. I don't think you can really do architecture totally 100% remote if you want to be going to construction site, learning how building builds together, right? That's a different thing that you have to be on site. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand. I understand why architects want people to come back to the office. Um, but Leah Bea, Architects Fora, is a great example of 
running a remote firm and how do you do that? How do you maintain the culture? How do you still make sure your peers are learning and especially the emerging professionals that they're still learning in a virtual environment? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it can be done. Um, it's just it just takes some work. <laughs> With everything, right? Just takes a little bit of work, a little bit more effort. (laughs) So about the conference, you personally also attended a lot of these sessions. Do you have a favorite part or a big takeaway from the summit? I think after hosting so many summits, I have done the Women Art Has Festival. I did session cut for monograph twice. And this is the fourth summit that I have organized. And after four summit, the biggest takeaway I have is that things happen (laughs) and you just have to deal with it. So for example, um, at the Women Archives Festival, I was laid off the day before the festival and I still had to deal with it and show up and host the entire conference in the whole weekend. And during session cut, we had a time where people where the speaker dropped out like the day of the summit and I had to step in and do a whole presentation by myself um, Mm -hmm. on personal branding. So this time we had multiple things that happened, (laughs) but we still deal with it. For example, we had our, we had a yoga session and our yoga teacher couldn't make it the day of because she had a family emergency. So we pre-recorded the yoga session like at midnight the day before at night so it was really dark mm-hmm. um, but we did it we dealt we adapted we dealt with it and our keynote speaker Leah Bea she actually showed up to the keynote session in a bathrobe oh. because, <laughs> because she got COVID um, oh. and she was sick and she was so sick and she still showed up anyway she didn't actually tell me she just showed up in the in the room oh with, in the zoom call with um, her bathroom and she yeah. still showed up and I just thought that was amazing and a lot of people applauded her for you know just giving it just giving it your best mm-hmm um, and showing up anyway because show up is showing up is half the battle. And what's more important is her messaging and her mm-hmm. effort and her heart and her values of share, sharing her values to the audience instead of what she's wearing or what if you have makeup on that day, right? So mm-hmm. I think that her effort of showing up um, and that's what I love about the community I have is it's just real and it's just open and authentic and accepting and that's the kind of community I want to build. So I know if that's the biggest takeaway, but <laughs> I think it just helps me kind of realize like, hey, this is this is the people I have. Is they're all really authentic and real and they're willing to accept whatever you look like, however you want to show up and, and just, I think they're just like the most forgiving people (laughs) or audience I can ask for. Mm -hmm. And just being there too. It's, it seems Mm -hmm. like the people that you invited to participate as speakers and panelists, 
really give their all to be there and to help foster that community. And then everyone else too. It's like no one, it, I feel like architects, it's not really like a fashion show, thankfully, because through COVID especially, there have been some days where I have shown up on camera and like it maybe wasn't a bathrobe, but it was the next step from that. I was this close probably to wearing a bathrobe. Not if you work in New York City, the architects in New York City has, is, is a fashion show. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, actually, I I was on a call. We were working with a team out of New York. And before we ended, the architect, he went, you know, Caitlin, I just I just wanted to say, you know, I had a I just had a blank blue background behind me. He's like, you know, I feel like you're more of like a fall color. Like maybe you should change your background to like an orange or a red. I think it would complement your complexion a little bit more. I was like, what? <laughs> Like, okay, thank you. <laughs> Can we get back to the meeting? I respectfully disagree with him as I think blue is a better color for me, but perhaps in that moment. And, you know, he, he was just trying to make me look my best. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Very funny. And so because the event has come to a close, what are your thoughts at the end? Did you get good feedback? Are you planning on doing it again? Would you do anything differently? We got great feedback. Everyone loved it and rated it very high, which I'm very happy about. Um, I would definitely do it again. Hopefully next time we can have more people and just spread the message even more. I'll have to think about what kind of topic we can talk about again and who we can get um, to speak. But I think it's definitely a good event for people to just kind of re- it's kind of like a reset for the weekend like you sit down you learn about these things I got feedback from people like we have a private Facebook group for the event and people would post on it and say okay it's Monday after the weekend I'm already saying no to like set my boundary or I asked them how are you doing and this this person said I'm doing great but then I thought to myself am I really doing great so then I started journaling because we had a journal session where Kayla was teaching people how to journal and giving you prompts to how to use writing to like put down your thoughts. So she started journaling to really figure, is she doing great or is just the default answer to how you feel every day? Because when people ask you, how are you? You always say, I'm good. Um, so these mm-hmm. little things, I think, is what people take away from it is I'm going back to work tomorrow. It's going to be a hectic week. But what tool did I learn from the summit that I can apply to my regular day-to-day work? Well, it's excellent that you're already getting that feedback. I feel like I went on retreats in high school where you know they'd take us off-site and we'd bond and all of that. And that first day back, you have just such a glow because you're excited and invigorated and you've learned so much and you're like, I'm going to change how how I was approaching things before because of these right. new tools. So it's I'm excited to hear that you're getting that feedback from your conference. I'm excited too because I feel like a lot of time from conferences, just from my personal experience, I come home and I'm like, I don't know what I learned or like what... <laughs> I just networked with a lot of people, which is great. Networking is great. I love meeting people in person. But then, like, what did I actually learn to implement in my day-to-day work? And that's why I I wanted to make this summit 
very actionable and make sure the workshops are actually something that people can do so that they can actually take away things and tools, like you said, to to apply to their life. Yeah. And in terms of personal branding, we kind of touched on that earlier, but how did you go about branding the event and marketing it to people and, and crafting it that way with all of your expertise that you have? Oh, that's a good question that I never thought about. Um, <laughs> I just used all my marketing chops to <laughs> market this time. Um, I branded it with my branding and I wanted it to be I wanted it to be exciting, but not totally like a party because it's not a party. It's more like a weekend where you sit down and learn and connect with other people. Um, any events that I put up, including the Women Arts Festival last year, tend to have a very chill, relaxing, calming vibe just because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so... If you ever come to any of my events, don't expect it to be a loud, extrovert, exciting party because it won't be. <laughs> so the the marketing of it, I guess, is is putting out that vibe, but still is an exciting event because I don't think there was ever a conference around mental health and architecture before, and mm-hmm. it's time we talk about this. So, and from there. I just did a lot of my regular marketing. I sent out my emails. I did post on social media, especially on LinkedIn. Oh, one thing that I did do is I did a lot of affiliate marketing this time. Because I'm a content creator myself, I'm friends with a lot of content creators in the architecture space. I asked them to help promote it. They get a commission for the promotion if someone signed up. Mm-hmm. So the word kind of also spread it that way, which was great because if you're ever in marketing, tapping into other people's audience is like the best thing you can do. Um, so yeah, that was very helpful. We did get a lot of sign up from other creators out there, which I think is great because it's kind of pushing all the community together in architecture in one place. So what are you looking forward to both personally, professionally in the next couple months or even the next year? Yeah, the next year I have big plans for the Women Architects Collective just because I think I've been doing it for five years now as as just a Facebook group, a community. Mm-hmm. Last year, we had the conference for the Women Architects Festival, and we're going to have that next year too. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just time for the Women Architects Collective to get more of a of an identity than just being a Facebook group. So I am planning next year to have a website and the whole brand identity for the Women Arts Collective to provide people with resources and just a place you can go to for any advice or content or events that we're going to host throughout the year. So that's something I'm very excited about. It's been in my mind for the last two years. I just haven't really had the time to do it. Um, but I think after the summit next year would be the year that I finally put it all together and give the community a place that they really need 
to find other resources that they need. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. I think that would be very, very good. Yeah, we're starting to brainstorm kind of what resources people would want. So someone was thinking to have like maternity policy that can help with women in in their career, or just policy for firm owners to build better workplace culture, or even as simple as an email template to. Say no to your boss, <laughs> just like things. I think things that you need in the day to day life of an architect, especially as a woman in architecture. Um, so we are hoping to provide all these resources on the website, and hopefully next year I'll finally make it happen. So to close out, this has been such a great conversation. What is one tip that you want to leave our listeners with? One repeating theme throughout the entire conference, the Mental Health in Architecture Summit, is the idea of setting boundary, and I think that's something that we can all do better. <laughs> and just listening to so many speakers and all the successful ones that are able to not burn out, that are able to maintain a good mental health, they all say the same thing: is they don't answer work email after hours. If I remember correctly, Mike Lavalle even said, "I don't have work emails on my phone, and that I do not answer them after 5 p.m." And it's just a good boundary to set for yourself that yes, you can be as responsive as you want during business hours, but after that, and I was guilty of I'm I'm probably still guilty of it now, <laughs> but I was guilty of it when I was cancer. I would answer clients' email at 10 p.m. when they email me because. It just feels like everything is urgent and everything needs、yeah. to be answered. But just from what I learned in the summit, people that are successful with their with maintaining good mental health and good balance are the people that are able to set that, that boundary and not not work after work. Yeah, and I think that helps people maintain good work life balance, but it also encourages good work life balance in others too, where there's no power dynamic of. My boss is emailing. I have to respond, or my client is emailing. You kind of set that expectation, and then that does permeate through the rest of your team, encouraging more healthy work culture. So,、yeah. I think we will end there. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to finally speak with you. I've, I'm sure a lot of us listening to this have followed your content, and we see all of your tips, and we really appreciate what you're doing for the profession and how you're giving back. And this mental health summit was really. You know, man, the manifestation of how you're trying to spread all of this positive change. So I really appreciate your time, and I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was a great conversation. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Architect Debt. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to share it with your network, leave us a five star rating and review, and follow us on social media. Reach out to the podcast directly at architectet.com. That's architect e t t e dot com. Join us in two weeks for our next episode. See you then.